The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And you can uh, locate in your scriptures Matthew chapter number 4. It should sound familiar to you because at least part of it, uh, Stephen read for us um, from Isaiah uh, chapter number 9. I want to read the text for us this morning though to kind of set it in our minds. Uh, Matthew 4, and uh, we'll begin our reading with verse number, um, verse number 12, Matthew 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region, the shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the way of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets and he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him and jesus went about all galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people and his fame went throughout all syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. It's the word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So, Lord, when that last morning breaks, looking to which we sigh and pray, O oh, may it to thy minstrels prove the dawning of a better day. Those lines from the 8th century hymn, The Dawn is Sprinkling, in the East. The headline for the midweek edition of the Galilee Gazette, dated AD 30, reads All hospitals and medical facilities in the region have closed, doctors, nurses, and staff now unemployed. 
The article states that it was not due to a lack of funding that the hospital closed. It was that no one needed medical attention. Another article in that same week reported from the Gazette, record attendances in all of the synagogues throughout Galilee. In the travel section, we find that the inns, hotels, and Airbnbs were all booked to capacity as unexpected travelers from as far north as Syria and south to Jerusalem had all came to Galilee. An investigative journalist had concluded that all of this had to do with one single man, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I don't know exactly what the local newspapers were saying about the arrival of Jesus into the region of Galilee, but what I do know is that when Jesus began public ministry, a long-awaited alternate reality came into sharp view. A long-awaited alternate reality came into sharp view. I simply cannot overstate the importance of understanding this because Jesus still stands within the contemporary world presenting an alternate reality. And I hope to help us see him this morning as I frame this sermon with three words, continuity, content, and challenge. The theme of continuity is built throughout Matthew's gospel with the word fulfillment. If you were to look all the way from chapter 1 to the section where we are now, the word shows up over and over and over again. For example, in chapter 3, he explains the ministry of John the Baptist by quoting Isaiah 40. He links together the Jewish scriptures with the work of Jesus of Nazareth. He identifies John as the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Here in chapter 4, what we read, he uses Isaiah 9 to link the work of Jesus with the promise that God would send a Savior. Matthew understands the Savior to be Jesus Christ, the light of God, who has come into the world of darkness in order to shine his great light so as to save it. He is the alternate reality not just for the chaos of Israel, but for the chaos of the world. And so it is here that a lesson in geography and sociology and a little bit of economics becomes really important. After John's arrest, that is John the Baptist, we read, right, that Jesus leaves Nazareth and he heads to Capernaum. That's what we read in verse number 12 and in verse number 13. And uh, in doing so, he, he leaves and he heads then to Capernaum, which is located in the province of Galilee. Uh, the commentator, Michael Green, helps us understand the significance of this by pointing us to three features of Galilee. And these, are, uh, these are important uh, to get us to understand the text of what is going on. The province of Galilee... Uh, was not necessarily large, uh, only about 1,200 square miles. But it was such a fertile area that it supported a dense population. 
records indicate that there were 204 villages. And none of them had a population under 15,000 people. Now, if you do the math, and multiple uh, historical sources confirm this, Galilee had a population around 3 million people. 3 million people. In an area of about 1,200 square miles. If you want to put that into perspective, Washington County is just under 900 square miles, so just a little less than Galilee, but only has a population of 61,000 people. Can you imagine putting 3 million people into Washington County? You say, well, I don't want to imagine I wouldn't live here if that was the case. <laughs> That's for someplace else, right? But what the commentator Michael Green points us to then is to see that Jesus began his work in one of the most densely populated areas in all of the Middle East. He also notes that it was a population that was volatile and open to change. Galileans were tough. They were courageous people. They were hard-working people. And uh, the commentator suggests then that this forms a marvelous seedbed for the gospel. He then also writes that Galilee was situated on one of the oldest and most significant trade routes in the east, the way of the sea. From Damascus of Syria just north all the way down to Egypt, running through the heart of Galilee, this trade route. He then comments, nowhere could Jesus have had such a chance of gaining a large following as in Galilee. They may have well been living in the shadow of moral and spiritual death, but on those living in the land of shadow and death, a light had dawned. A light had dawned. So we have Jesus leaving kind of the comfort and care of family and home and what was familiar to him in Nazareth, and he goes to Galilee, undoubtedly led by the Spirit, as a fulfillment of Isaiah 9. But then what message does he bring to this kind of rough and tumble mass of people who are all just kind of shoved into this region? What message does he bring to a group of hard-working people the, the, literally the salt of the earth, if you will, on this trade route, busy with all kinds of activity. What does he say to them? And this takes me to my second word, and that word is content. And the content of the message of Jesus of Nazareth is simply this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus tells them that the reality that they are presently giving their lives for is not the true reality. It is not the true reality. He is telling them that an alternate reality exists, and because an alternate reality exists, they must repent 
in order to enter into it, in order to see it. This is the fundamental content of his message. And if you look at verse number uh, 17, notice that it is put in the continuing form. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in other words, Jesus didn't just kind of say it in one small location where it wouldn't cause much disturbance. Everywhere he went throughout that region and in every opportunity that he was given, his primary message, his stump speech was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see and understand that the content of his message has continuity with all the prophets who had come before him including his cousin John the Baptist. And it should also be noted that the apostles carry forth the theme of repentance to the church. What does Peter say on the day of Pentecost when the Jews, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, say to them, what shall we do? What does Peter say? Repent and believe the gospel. And so Jesus is the link back to the prophets, John the Baptist, all the way back into the Jewish scriptures, and he is the link moving forward into the apostolic church, the church that we are part of, and he himself returns with that message recorded in chapters 2 and 3 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. When John, in writing these letters to the seven churches, Jesus says to each one of them what? Repent, repent, or I'm going to come and remove your candlestick, your influence. I'm going to remove it. Now, repentance is required if you desire to enter into the alternate reality of the kingdom of God. We, we should make uh, no bones about that. Repentance is required if you desire to enter into the alternate reality of the kingdom of God. The four men that Matthew introduces us to, their repentance isn't first from sin. And I think it's important to note that. There is nothing sinful about being part of a family business, a com being a commercial fisherman. Nothing sinful about that. So you might ask, well then, what are they repenting of? Their repentance is about their priorities. And this is what Jesus does. He comes to them and he says to them, I want you to stop fishing for fish and I want you to start fishing for men so you need to rearrange your priorities so that they become kingdom priorities. Can you imagine? Now that's an alternate reality, right? Those four men had spent their life growing up, learning everything there was to know about fishing. And then along comes this rabbi that says, I want you to leave it as a priority. And I want you to begin to follow me as a priority because I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. Wow. But you know, the repentance 
that takes these men from their fishing boats and into the school of Jesus is quite different, different from the kind of repentance that would confront them then over the next three years. For every disciple, or church for that matter, that desires to prioritize itself around Jesus, repentance has to be a lifelong pursuit. Because our priorities are always getting jumbled. Or sin begins to creep in. We, we neglect. We neglect our Christian responsibility or we neglect nourishing our faith. Whatever it might be. And so repentance for the follower of Jesus Christ, for the actual disciple of Jesus Christ, repentance has to be a lifelong pursuit. And so these four men, along with others who would follow Jesus, began in the school of Jesus, the very first lesson, repent. Repent. All of this, of course, is rooted in the greatness of God's love poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. The great light shining in Christ comes into view then into the uh, very needs of the people all throughout the region of Galilee. And, and we would say, you know, if you're going to give your life to something, or you're going to give your life to someone, you want to know that the person you're giving it to or the cause that you're giving it to is worthy. And look at what Jesus does. Look at what happens when Jesus comes to town. Verse 23 he goes in and he teaches and preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And where does he do that? In verse 23, he does it in their synagogues. He does it in their synagogues. And, and it creates a stir. And, and we read this not only in Matthew, but in Mark and in Luke, and especially in John, that when Jesus went in among the people in their synagogue, in their setting, their church setting... He didn't just leave them comfortable in their seats. In fact, we know from Luke that the first time Jesus opens the script, well, I don't know if it's the first time, but Jesus opens the scripture in his own synagogue in Nazareth, and he reads it. At the end of that reading, you know what they do to him? They drive him out of the synagogue, and they want to throw him over the edge of the cliff. Now, so this isn't necessarily to be read as just like some easy task that Jesus is performing, although Jesus is going with courage from synagogue to synagogue with this fundamental message of repent. But then we read of the impact of his love and light as he, also in verse 23, heals all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And then as the geography expands, the impact of Jesus expands. Now uh, uh, remember again, it's a densely populated area and news is going to travel very fast. And it's on a significant trade route. So the messaging is going to go both directions. Bring your sick, you know, I think about the statue, you're tired, you're poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores, bring them, right? Bring them. 
And this is what they're doing. They're bringing them to Jesus of Nazareth. And what are we told he does? He heals them. He heals all of them. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The love of God poured out, overflowing on people who had no hope of their basic needs uh, being met. Now, the kingdom of heaven has been revealed to them. An alternate reality exists for them. Come to Jesus and be healed. But to coming, you need to repent. The kingdom is at hand. To use the language of Psalm 103, we would say that God is not dealing with Israel according to her sins, but in accordance with his mercy. The alternate reality Jesus brings is more than just kind of moral goodness, altruism at its best. Sure, I'll help you. You've got a need. He is bringing them out of the shadow of death. He is bringing them out of the shadow of darkness. He is bringing them into light. And he is saying by his life, there is a way that you can live if you will repent, change your priorities, and follow me. And they do. Masses and masses of people come to him. Oh, what a Savior we have. Who not only, you know, leaves the glories of heaven to come the earth, but then leaves the comfort and security of his own hometown and his job and his family to go and preach the message on a major trade route in a densely populated area, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, I, I hope you listen very carefully to what I'm about to say, because I do believe there is a misconception among present-day Western Christians that needs to be destabilized. And the misconception is that our, our repentance, perhaps, and our kind of subsequent surrender to Jesus might not need to be as exacting as in previous times. You know, when the Moravians, who got on ships to go to faraway lands to preach the gospel, brought their coffins with them. In other words, we know we're going to die for the cause of Christ. They won't be shipping our bodies back. We'll bring our coffins with us. Or for those men whose names I can't right now uh, clearly get in my mind and remember, but were burned at the stake at the center of Oxford, England. Why? Because they would not recant their allegiance to God's word. Or quite honestly, those are big dramatic examples, right? Quite honestly, the simple disturbances of every day. I was so encouraged to read, if you were here a few weeks ago, about a woman in our congregation heard somebody else in our congregation was sick and just took a meal to them. No fanfare, right? No, no headlines, just took a meal. Christian duty, Christian responsibility. But how many Christians, oh, you know, that's an inconvenience. You, 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 you see, we have money. We have technology. We have mobility. 
We can hire out that kind of thing. Hey, I won't make the meal and take it to the person in my church. I'll call a restaurant and send takeout. I'm not saying that's always a bad thing. But there's a piece missing, isn't there? Or we say, well, I don't need to personally tell somebody to repent and believe the gospel. I'll, I'll kind of I'll put it on Facebook. Or I'll tweet it out. Or I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share a link and point them to a YouTube video. Does our, does our uh, you know, repentance and surrender need to be exacting as in previous times? I, I think there is this kind of grip on the church today that says, well, we got money and we got technology and we got mobility. Can't we just hire that stuff out? Are we really required to have actual proximity with people that are in need? People that need to hear the gospel? To correct this misconception, I would suggest we consider two things. First, if the Lord of glory condescended and got his hands dirty, why would we think we are exempt? It is Jesus who stood at the center of the chaos. It is Jesus who showed us by his words and actions the great love and the great light that had appeared. And then the second thing I hope we could consider is that he has actually commissioned us to this work. He hasn't kind of left it up to us. Well, if you want to, go ahead and do it. Don't feel like it's an obligation. You know, No, Jesus actually has commissioned his church to join him in the midst of the chaos and darkness of this world and announce the order of the kingdom of God at hand and to do that with words, repent, with works, care, love, share, help people. That we are to see that the world that's being restored in Jesus, that he has not only redeemed this world through his death, but on the cross, the world now belongs to him. He is the risen Lord, and we then are privileged to join him in his work. And that, of course, takes me to the third word, and that is the word challenge, specifically the challenge of Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily mean the, the challenging words that Jesus speaks, although they are challenging. I mean Jesus himself as a man is challenging. Have you ever met a person like that where you go like, the person just kind of has an aura, if you will, about them. You go like, wow, this is, this is a really impressive person. Have you ever really thought about Jesus himself as a challenge? So let me pull the story forward. Let me drop it into this room and let me ask you some very pointed questions. The first is this. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You, you see, you might have come up against him at some point and kind of like came in under the door, as it were, and kind of got involved in church. But you've really never met the challenge of Jesus. 
in other words, you've really never repented of your sins, trusted him, and you're really not following him. You may be doing some of the stuff that surrounds him, that, that seems to be part of him, but you've never really met him. Have you repented from running the show on your terms? Have you embraced the cross, the preaching of the cross of Christ, which states with all clarity that God loves you and that God has done everything necessary through Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you been brought into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus? Have you done that? Are you truly a disciple of Jesus? Let me give you a second question. If you are a disciple of Jesus, are you living a penitent life? Or are you looking for that exemption from the harder work of discipleship? Are you living a penitent life? Just as the disciples would fall short throughout the life, they would miss the mark, we miss the mark. And so we are always brought back to Galilee, as it were. Jesus is always calling us to the place where we met him. It's like a roundabout, right? You go around it, and there he is, right? You go, all right, there he is. There's Galilee. There's the place you met Jesus. Inviting us into deepest fellowship with him through the means of grace we talked about last week. And it grieves me deeply because I do believe that many modern day churchgoers have given up on penitence as a way of life. That they have lost sight of penitence as a virtue that encompasses other disciplines. But this is the challenge of Jesus. You can skirt his words. But when you come face to face with Jesus, it demands a response. You may want to shove him over the cliff. You may want to crucify him. But it requires a response. And the church, a church like ours, so filled with so many good things if we are not developing penitence as a way of life then we will be missing in many ways the challenge of jesus along with abby's excellent exhortation on evangelism i would encourage you to read my thoughts on penitence as a way of life for the church again that that lovely salmon colored paper out there in the back you know pick up a copy, and if for some reason we run out, more, more can be made. <laughs> Let me give you the third word, and I'm done. Are we holding fast to the hope set before us? Are we holding fast to the hope set before us? So are you a follower of Jesus? Are you living a penitent life? This is a challenge of Jesus. But the challenge of Jesus is also this. He has set a hope before us. Just as Israel had to hold on to its hope for a coming Messiah, so we have to hold fast to the hope of Jesus who is indeed returning. We have a promise 
Let us hold fast to this promise. The promise that the kingdom of God is powerfully among us now. And it is forever with us, present with us now and always in Jesus Christ. Are you holding fast to that? Can we imagine headlines in our local newspapers saying, hospitals empty, people afflicted with deep emotional problems free from their mental diseases, addiction centers empty, wheelchair industry no longer in business, assisted living facilities no longer needed, no outpatient therapy, no darkness. No death, only love, only light. John Lennon tried to imagine that. But he located it within human endeavor. And thus a failed project. But for us who are followers of Jesus, we know that through faith in him, the kingdom is ours to enjoy. This is our hope and by God's grace hold fast to it so that you too might see the light and love of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, as we uh, prepare ourselves for your table, we do so with thanksgiving for you are a good and faithful God to us. And I pray That we would meet with you, Lord Jesus, at this table. The challenge of who you are. And let us respond with hearts open and ready to receive the blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.